0: All right, Genesis chapter 13. If you weren't here last week, you can always check out the messages online at ccfofww.com. And so, uh, Genesis chapter 12 was a pretty interesting chapter. We were introduced to a character named Abraham. Abram, at this point, is his name. And there are two things that really stuck out, really sticks out about um, Abram's life, his character. And two repetitions in the chapter 12 that we saw about Abram were that he did he pitched his tent and that he built an altar. And those two things really just uh, they say a lot about the heart and the mindset of Abram. And the point that when one pitches their tent, it means that we're, we kind of have a tent mentality, which means that this is not our home. It says in Hebrews that Abraham was looking for a, a, a city whose foundations and builder was God, and that he wasn't living for this world. Although he was in it, he was not of it. And the same mentality is for us. Though we are blessed with homes and houses and a great land to live in and cars to drive and, and all these types of things, we're to live lightly not necessarily in possession but were to live lightly in our in our heart and our mindset don't hold these things too tight for they're going away all of them are going away all of the chairs the microphones the guitars everything you know that we might like it's it's going to go the scriptures say that the earth will be shaken anything that can be shaken will be shook that means that it will be removed it will be gone By fire, it'll be taken away. Everything that is physical, anything that that God has has created will be gone, uh, both seen and unseen. But that which cannot be shaken will remain. That which cannot be shaken are in Christ Jesus and are His. A new heavens, a new earth are coming. A new hope, Matt 2.0, with no problems, right? Right? no five miles or no difficulties and i look at you and in your lives and how you struggle and in in our prayers for one another oh god help in in our tendency is is because we're living here is to walk with the eyes that we see with and if we let it boy we can lose hope real quick we can lose hope real quick because it's not getting better is it It's getting a little worse in our bodies every single day one day it'll be done but when we check out we're checking in and it's going to be awesome and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go but he pitched his tent he lived that tent mentality not holding on to the the things of the world so tightly that they ruled him and he also built an altar I know we might go, okay, let's, you know, if, if I see a bunch of you with like literal altars in your backyard, you're going to be in trouble, all right? That's not what we're talking But Abraham built an altar. That means he worshiped God. He sought God. He sacrificed. He, he sought the wisdom of God. He was in communication with God. God, where do I go? What do I do? And he walked in the land. He built an altar. And there's a great pattern that we'll talk about here that every time he built an altar, it seems like God... Led him for the next step, but every time he did not build an altar, it seems like he did something boneheaded, and we talked about that last week, where he compromised his wife Sarah and her security and her safety by uh, giving in to fear when he went down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. And f- what what do famines do? They they show a great lack like, uh, in our lives. And it reveals what we will do with those circumstances. And I asked last week, any of you going through a famine and you have a situation of lack in your lives, not just talking about possessions, but spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, uh, what and what do we do? And how do we resolve that? Do we go down to Egypt or do we build an altar and say, God, here I am. God, will you speak to me? Will you meet this need? I don't want to meet it with the world's needs. I want to meet it uh, means I want to meet it through what your son has to say. I want to meet it through what you have. And it will quite often be contrary to what we are seeing with our eyes. A walk by faith. And that's what Abraham was doing. He was learning to walk by faith. And in chapter 12, we saw that he was just like us and he fell down a lot. He made silly mistakes. Anybody made mistakes this morning? Any Anybody been around with people who made mistakes? A lot more, probably. <laughs> If you haven't, then you're that person. (laughs) Chapter 13, verse 1 says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. The, The Negev is the area between Egypt and Israel. It's a very dry, arid land. He went with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. It would seem initially... As we're looking at Abram's life, that he went down to Egypt, he he lied about his sister being his wife. Right, I was wiping his sister. Right, it's all the same, pretty much. But anyways, he lied about the circumstance, and he gets down to the gets down to the situation, gets rebuked by a pagan king who finds out the truth, even though she was his half sister, and he ends up, you know, rebuking him and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? And he ends up giving them a bunch of stuff. Camels and donkeys and gold and silver, oh my, right? And then they start leaving, and they go back. And it would appear on the surface, hey, he got away unscathed, you know? No problem with lying, no problem with all these things. God blessed him. It would seem that way on the surface. And while God did protect Abram and Sarai, his wife, even when he blew it, we have seen a few chapters that Abram and Sarai picked up some Servants, and specifically one servant girl named Hagar from Egypt. And this is where we have problems develop in the family between the women and eventually between the sons. And to this day, to this day, those two people groups, the Jews and the Arab nation, they fight each other. Same lineage down to the father, Abraham. Two different mothers. they got problems going on in the world to this day. So don't think because you lied or because we did all these things and we seem blessed that our sin doesn't come back to bite us. It does. It always does. God was merciful, yes, and he is merciful in in, in our circumstances. But sin is sin. We live in a reap and sow society. And so when we decide to go to the world for answers to for whatever we may need. It may initially seem like, hey, all is well, but look out. Okay, nevertheless, Abraham went up from Egypt. Yeah, he's getting out of there. Egypt being a type of the world in Scripture. Verse 3 says, From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his uh, his tent had been earlier. And where he had first built an altar, then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram obviously is going to blow it many times in, the, in in his life, but instead of wallowing in defeat, he humbly goes back to the place where he first had built that altar, and Abram reconnects with God. He reconnects with God. And some of us have blown it. Some of us have blown it big time in our lives. Some of us are blowing it and think no one else knows. God knows. We've gone down to Egypt to get the answers. We've we've done things that are, you know, because we 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 acted out of fear or we acted out of necessity. We just decided to do something because something needed to be done. We went down to Egypt. We didn't wait on the upon the Lord. We didn't build the altar. We didn't wait, and in haste we sought a solution, and we got ourselves maybe and our families into a predicament that was not very good for them, for anybody. Good news. You're in good company. As I said last week, God writes these stories from the Old Testament so that we would be comforted and know how God works in the midst of our failures, in the midst of a sinful generation, and how much God loves each and every one of you and desires to lead you back to that place of communion with Him at the altar. I know a place where The wrongs we have done and the wrongs done to us were nailed there to him. The altar of sacrifice. The cross of Jesus Christ where all things can be reconciled. Where sins can be removed. Where we can have our Father's loving arms, our Heavenly Father's come around and say, come here. It's okay. Come on back. When we blow it, we got to go back to God. Go back to the Lord. Get out of the world. Get out of Egypt. Stop messing around in the mud. Go back to your, your father, your king. Pitch your tent. You know what I mean? Return to that tent mentality. This is not our home. Take your eyes off the world again. Put them back on the Lord, upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? Revelation 2 speaking to the Ephesian church who went down to Egypt, so to speak, in, in in a way. They did a lot of good things. They did a lot of great things. They were really wonderful in Bible knowledge, believe it or not. And they had a zeal for holiness and all these great this great stuff. And Jesus in Revelation 2, 5 says, Consider how far you have fallen. He's speaking to these, these this lovely church that he loves. He says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the first things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. So, if you've been going down to Egypt for the world's solutions, if you've been trying to make it happen instead of going to the Lord, you know, for those answers, for that comfort, for that friendship, whatever it might be, remember from where you've fallen. Remember where the Lord had you. Repent, which means to change your mind, change direction back towards the Lord, and return to your first love, the three R's. And we, you know, we talked about that when we went through Revelation. And there your father is. Verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, and for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Parasites and, and all these other people were also living in the land at the time. And so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives, brothers, is what the word is in King James, I think. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham and Lot's people are having some issues. Anybody ever had conflict with someone close to you? Anyone? Just me. Okay. Again, no. So because of their great possessions, because they had a lot of stuff and, they, and there was limited resources around them, and there, there's a conflict that arose. Their, their, their herdsmen were not getting along. Their stuff was clashing. Workers in both party were apparently at each other's throats. And meanwhile, the heathens were looking on, all around them. Very great witness. And so what does Abraham do in response to this conflict? And this is really a model for us when we encounter conflict with our brothers and sisters, and those people close to us. Five things if you're taking notes. The first is that Abraham, he goes to Lot. He went to Lot. He went directly to Lot, verse 8. It says that he said to Lot. He went and talked to the person. Abraham doesn't assume that Lot knows what's going on. Abraham doesn't avoid Lot. He doesn't unfriend him. All these things, he just goes right to him and starts talking to him. Just goes to him and starts talking to him. Secondly, he addresses the problem. He addresses the problem. So Abraham, verse 8, said to Lot, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. There's, there's argument going on. There's conflict going on. And he recognizes. He says this is what is going on. There was quarreling and there was fighting. And when Abraham addresses the problem, he includes himself. Notice that? Hey, why are you guys quarreling? No, he says, let's not have between us this is what's going on between our people this is my stake in it this is your stake in it these things are going on and he puts himself in the equation that takes humility takes wisdom so he recognizes his part in it I don't want to continue this and thirdly in the same verse there in verse uh, 8 we see an appeal for peace. Let's, let's not have any quarreling between us. And really, this is the heart of conflict resolution. You want to have peace. You don't want to get your way. You kind of do, but I mean, the re- well, if we're in Christ, we want to have peace with people. We want to have peace. I desire reconciliation. I desire there to be a, you know, a, a, a joy restored between us, a respect restored between us, a love restored between us. We don't always have to see eye to eye. We're not going to see eye to eye in this. We're bumping. But I want to have peace between us. I love that about Abram here. Shows a lot what God's done in his heart and who he is. Appeal for peace. Why? Why does he express his desire for peace and restoration? And that leads us to point four. Fourthly, Abraham reminds Lot of their bond. Let us not fight because we're family. Other versions say because we're brothers. Now, obviously, Abraham was his uncle, but he's talking to him. We're kindred. There is much more that unites us than divides us. There is so much more that unites us than divides us. We're family. We've got so much going on together. Look at all we've been through. Don't let this, you know, let's not let this get in between us. Yes, there are differences, but we have much more. That unites us and divides us in Christ. Think about it, brothers and sisters. You will be sharing the same office space throughout eternity. It's gonna be pretty big, but I mean look around. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. This goes on and on and on and on. Boy. You know, I I I think of Paul. And Paul did some really nasty stuff to Christians before he was converted, before he got kicked off his donkey and his he was blinded. And the Lord really spoke to him, said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And Paul would later on say, man, I was such a goofball. I did so many horrible things. I persecuted Christians up and down. And he said, you know, God allowed this to happen in my life. And, and things were going on because he wanted to show a pattern of how horrible I was, of how much God's grace would be extended to all of you. Because if He can forgive me, the chief of sinners, He would say, "How much would He forgive you?" And then Jesus goes on and He teaches. He says about forgiveness, forgiving one another. He says, "If, if you know, if you don't forgive." Each other. Neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And that's how seriously God takes this. That, and he, and he does several different parables about it. He says, you know, hey, there's there's a guy, and he had he owed this man money, and the and the, the, the man with all the riches and power said, okay, I forgive your debt. He let him out of jail and let him go. Well, that man went away, and someone who owed him money started treating him harshly. He started treating him harshly, 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 and the king found out. He said, he grabbed him, he threw him in jail, he says, you're not getting out until you pay every last debt. Now, theological ramifications aside, no clue. God is serious about us resolving our conflicts with one another. He loves, he wants us to have that heart of forgiveness, the same heart that God, who had everything pinned on us, right? We could have, he could have totally smoked us if he wanted to. He didn't. And that's the same heart. The heart that is in Christ Jesus should be in us towards one another. That's a very hard thing, but if we're led by the Spirit, if we are led by Jesus, and we go to the cross, and we look at the cross saying, boy, Lord, I am the chief of sinners. Who am I to hold this against them? That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it is not easy, because I know many of you have been hurt deeply, been offended deeply, Great, you know, God will do the work. He said it. Forgive one another. It's a work that he is continuing to do in my heart and my life. A house divided will fall, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We want to be a cord of three strands, not a divided house. Amen. Lastly, Abraham gives Lot the best. How do you like to do that when you're having conflict resolution? Say you choose. What do you think would be best? I don't know about you, but if I'm ticked off and I'm in a situation people are arguing, (laughs) I'd be like, I'm going to get one on you. You know, I'm going to make sure you feel what I feel. And I'm going to make the circumstances such to where it's not, you'll you'll have a little bit, but you're you're not going to feel like you really want. I'm sorry. Did I just reveal my heart to you guys? (laughs) I'm sorry. Anybody else feel like that? Probably just me again. But when we do this, this is not trusting the Lord. We're arguing over land here, Abraham and Lot. What did God say to Abraham? Go, and I'm going to give it to you. If he's acting out of fear or selfish motivations, he's going to try to hold on to stuff and things instead of going, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with the land. I trust you to lead me and guide me. Lot, wherever you want to go, it's yours. Go ahead. I just want to have peace with you. don't want to have, hold anything against you. He let go, even to his own detriment. That could have hurt him very financially. It could have really, you know, they were in the, the cattle business, right? That's a, isn't that the whole land before you, verse 9? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right, and if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He showed his nephew agape love. Abram was the patriarch. He was in control of the situation. He could have done anything he wanted, and Lot would have had to do it. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest. That doesn't mean we can't look out for our own interest, right? Not only look out for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. We're we'll looking out for the best interest for the other person. Now, Abraham was in charge. Like I said, he could have done anything, but Abraham was willing to let Lot choose, and possibly that would hurt him. Abraham just got done making a decision out of fear, and now he's making a decision out of faith. He's learning. That's great, walking in faith. Abraham isn't basing his decision upon fear at this time. He's trusting God's promise that God's going to lead him and show him to the land. He's going to hear it. And so Abraham didn't need to be tight-fisted or controlling. Abraham could be a blessing and give Lot the best choice. And the same scenario runs through our families, our church, our situations from time to time when, when, when we start quarreling with one another. Sometimes we forget that there are people watching around us You know, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all these other people. But the Lord would have us deal with conflict between believers in the manner that Abraham and Lot did. Going directly to the person, addressing the problem, appealing for peace, reminding each other of the bond, family, esteeming the other above ourselves. And so as we have conflict with one another, remember Abraham and Lot. And this exchange between Lot and Abram, remember, when we get in conflict, it reveals what's going on in our hearts. And that's what matters to God. It's not all the stuff. Circumstances reveal what's going on in our hearts. When we have conflict with one another, it shows what we believe. It shows who we believe in. It shows our values. It reveals it. And we have an opportunity to respond like Abram. Now, it also revealed Lot and his choice in the matter, right? And we see here in verse 10, it says, Lot looked around when Abraham gave him the choice, right? And he saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of, Lord, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because if you go down now, it's the Dead Sea. It's absolutely desert. It's uh, it's just a wasteland. It's amazing. You know, I've been there and I've driven through it. You know, for a couple hours at night, and you get there and, and the sun comes up and you're like, oh my gosh, nothing grows in the Dead Sea. It's all dead. That's what they call it, the Dead Sea. There's so much salt you can float in it. Like your feet go, and you're just you have tremendous buoyancy. It is a wasteland. Nothing can survive there. However. Before that, it was a lush place, before the judgment of God, which we'll read about later. It was a lush place. And so Lot is looking down into this valley, in this area, and he sees it. He says he saw, the, he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, before it was destroyed. And so Lot, verse 11, chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. There's an interesting pattern, and this is why I want everybody to listen up for a second. There's an interesting pattern in Lot's life. Check out how this happens. In verse ten it says that Lot saw the plain of the Jordan towards Zor, that it was well watered. He saw it. He was looking with his eyes, right? And then in verse 11, it says that Lot chose the whole plain and set out towards it. He, he saw it. He started to make motion. He started to move towards it. Verse 12, the next thing it says, Then we see that Lot lived among the cities and pitched pinched his tent near Sodom. And then a few chapters later, we'll talk about it. We see Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. He's now in the leadership of this perverse city. Didn't start. Like oh how did I get teleported here? you know I mean he was there. It took a process and it says now the people in verse 13, now the people of Sodom were wicked where, and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So lot who is described as a righteous person, by the way, in second Peter chapter 2 verse seven, he's a believer. He has got himself in a very sad situation. It says in 2 Peter 2.7 that Lot was vexed and disgusted with what was going on in the cities. And because he he was righteous, God said, that God saved him from the destruction of the city. I know that's hard for us to believe. But Lot was a righteous man, making very poor choices. Being led by the flesh. And it says... From there, Lot still could not let go, and he stayed in Zor. Even after that city was destroyed and he got saved from it. He said, I just want to stay in the plains. I just want to hold on to it. You know, my precious, he's just a weirdo. Seriously, he decided to stay in Sodom light. And from there, righteous, their, uh, the righteous Lot, he lived in the hills, and he became drunk. Anyways, he had some situations going on with family members. Got to keep it G here. And it was not good. And so we see this progression. Sadly, many believers, we live lives that tell the same kind of story. Yes, we believe. Yes, we are righteous. We've said yes to heaven, but we haven't said no to the world. Yes. But we haven't said no to the world. We cannot have two masters, Jesus taught. Either you're going to love one or you're going to hate the other. That's the way it works. can't have a divided heart. And this choice that Abraham gave Lot and the decisions he made, it revealed the inner workings of Lot's heart. Lot looked around and he saw what was going on. He was looking with his eyes. And when he looked up, he didn't look far enough. He didn't keep going and look up to heaven with a heart that said, God, is this what you would have for us? Is this what you would have for my family? This was a great business decision, ladies and gentlemen. This was a great business decision. No one could talk against it. It's exactly what you would do if you had a cattle industry. And there have been people who have made great business decisions who have not sought God's wisdom in it, and they've ended up being run through because they didn't ask, is this a good family decision? Are my kids going to grow grow closer to the Lord, or are they going to be put in a situation that's going to influence them into darkness? Lot, he saw the cities. He knew what was going on. Everybody knew what was going on down there. But he saw the money. He saw the security, and he went for it. And he started to move towards it. And lo and behold, he's in the city. He's vexed about the situation that's going on, and his family goes to heck. His daughters, his son-in-laws, all these things, they're totally influenced by the city. They're totally influenced by that culture. They were totally pulled in. They weren't strong enough. They didn't seek the Lord in it. I see that happening in our lives as well when we make decisions without asking the Lord. When we start looking with our eyes at the plains of Jordan, the grass is green, so what? It's a great business decision. It's going to provide this, this, and this. So we seek the Lord. We are not of this world. Does it mean that God wouldn't have let him down there? I don't know. But we seek the Lord. We see this progression going on in his life. Yes to heaven, but they haven't said no to the world. Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the plane. Church, we, we've got to pray over everything. Seek the Lord's word and his spirit and his leading in all our decisions. Every single decision. Before we buy that, before we move, before we commit our time, our lives, and our families, we have to ask, God, is this for you? It seems right. Everything fits into place. Nevertheless, your will be done. We must do this. Build the altar. Wait upon the Lord. Don't be moved due to circumstances. Wait on the Lord. Hear from the Lord. Seek the Lord. You have time. Let him speak to your heart and guide you. And we'll read more about Lot and his family in the coming chapters. But verse 14 in closing here, it just says, uh, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, Look around where you are. Look to the north and the south, the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give you to, to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk to the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. When Lot departed from Abram, something happened. Abram, I told you that I would lead you to the land that I would give you and to your descendants. You believe me and here it is. Pretty cool. God has promised. God had told Abram, In chapter 12, he said, Leave your country, leave your father's house, leave your family. Lot, and that's why it keeps saying in Scripture, and Lot went with him, and Lot went with him. God was not going to make good on his promise when Abram was in partial obedience to his will. And it was at the moment that these two circumstances, this circumstance happened, perhaps by divine appointment, that they separated and now there wasn't Lot hanging out. God told him to leave him because God's promise wasn't didn't involve Lot. It involved Aram, Sarah. And that's a departure. It's a picture and that's developed later in the New Testament of the spirit in the flesh. We have to be wholehearted to the Lord. No half-hearted obedience. God had commanded him said, hey, I want you to leave and I will do these things. I will make you a blessing. And the Lord told Abraham to leave his father's house. And that day that that happened, the day that he decided to fully follow the Lord in that or the circumstances came about here, God's promise was made good. And again, as we talked last week and we're closing now, what is the last step that God has given you? What is the last thing that the Lord has shared for you to do that you didn't necessarily want to do it might have been uncomfortable it might have caused you a little pain think about these things because that's where he left off with you he loves you he cares for you he's not in a hurry he's waiting on you what's the last thing he asked you to do i want you to give that up i want you to trust me i want you to walk away from this i want you to go to this i want you to you know i have i have this this thing i want you to do and, you're, and you have fear in your heart and your mind about it, I don't want to go share with that person, or I don't want to forgive this person, or okay, love you, not mad at you, not always things, just waiting on you. So well, I'd love to see God, when we take those steps of faith, God begins to speak. And God encouraged Abram all along. Even when he was blowing it, God encouraged him. He loves you so much, no matter if you've blown it. So a lot to think about this morning, from responding to failure to conflict resolution to the consequences of worldly decision-making. The answer is Jesus. The answer has always been Jesus. Build your altar this week. Go back to the Lord and let him flood your life. Don't have that foot in the gutter and the fist in the gold. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the life of Abram, Lord, that you've given us a pattern. You've shown us things that uh, we couldn't possibly have known about you unless you decided to show us through real people working through these relationships. And God, we're thankful that you are patient with us. You're loving. You're kind. You're perfecting us. We are not finished, but yes, we are saved. You're moving us towards... Uh, towards that day when, when uh, our faith will come sight. And until that day, God, we ask that you would continue enlighten us. Help us to be in the world, but not of it. Help us to be living for your kingdom. Help us to walk on this earth with the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to continue to see our circumstances through your eyes. Even the pains in our bodies, God. Even the lack of things in our lives and the famines that we experience, God, would we seek you in the middle of them? And each opportunity would be, be an opportunity for us to, to see you move in our lives and to grow and to become more like Jesus. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.